0: Blair. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Well, okay, so this is this is really exciting. Not only do we have uh, a worldly awesome guest, but this is our first official guest co-host.
0: Worldly awesome guest co-host as well. Yeah.
1: Are you worldly? No. Mm-mm. Okay. I was, I was going to say, I didn't, I, I didn't know that about that you. Not
0: that I know of anyway.
1: So, well, welcome. You know, uh, Cardin had a, a conflict. Yep. And so... We said, no problem, Carden, we'd love to replace you. And uh, bam, you know, I I, and seriously, I had to think, who would I want to be here? Who could pull this off?
0: and you chose me or was I like on the list of you were okay like, uh, you how weren't far number one down the list was
1: I <laughs> you were on the list Annie you, you, <laughs> okay. you know you were on the list
0: <laughs> the good list I'm
1: kidding list, of course you're right at the top so thank you for thank you for filling this in.
0: fool never says no <laughs> no nope, that's right
1: so uh yeah so welcome we're we're excited um so you and I had talked uh you Listen to the podcast. You are a podcast listener and you were a guest uh, on actually one of our most successful podcasts. Awesome. Did very well. Uh, And you also listened to the podcast. And the last three we did, we dedicated three episodes to um, housing. And it was just something we talked about doing. And so we did one on new home construction, buying a home, and then home remodel. And you and your husband uh, recently, within what, I guess a couple years ago, Built a home from uh, scratch.
0: Actually, it's been like nine years ago. Oh wow! Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, time flies I, when
0: you're having fun.
1: Yeah, I live in a cave. Yeah. Apparently, <laughs> obviously. So anyway, you mentioned that you had a, a few insights yeah. to share. As well. you know,
0: I, I actually really enjoyed that those three podcasts. And um, housing is such a hot topic right now across the world. But anyway, I yeah. So my dad was a contractor. Grew up. In that scene of him building houses all the time and it's it it was phenomenal to me like to be hands-on in the process watching Mm -hmm. it from the ground up and um you know there's always these little gems or nuggets that get thrown at you when you're building a home and some of them i always like i just think about and i tell people when they're building a house hey listen don't buy square like poles for your cabinets you know like the ones that have just one screw in the back handles you mean yeah the handles or whatever <laughs> those. i know they're called yeah. poles but a lot of people yeah. don't know the okay. handles because the square ones when they just have one screw in the back yes like they're never gonna be straight oh you know what i mean like they're always gonna be off a little bit you can oh. make them you can make them diamond shaped but again like they're for the ocd be people yeah, like you're always yeah. gonna be tweaked a little. i guess so I get that. when we were going to buy those my dad said hey don't Look at square ones because, yeah. Right. Yeah. You're going
1: to be constantly mm-hmm. fussing with them.
0: Yep. Another so. common mistake is people don't have a place to put their vacuum. Like they don't think about we need a specific like closet or spot to put our vacuum. And so they right. get, then they're like, well, crap, now we don't have a specific spot for our vacuum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs>
1: You know, in the houses that I designed, storage is a, a big thing. And actually I can thank a, a realtor one time. He and I were talking and I said, what do people want in houses that they don't get? And he he was very adamant. There was three things. Number one is proportion. Right? Don't have huge rooms and tiny rooms. Right. Number two is storage and specifically garages. Make sure yeah. you, and so all my garages are very, very roomy.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. And you know, the, 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 you just can't, whether it's for a vacuum or lots, I mean, people have lots of stuff, right. you know, so it's like um, you can never have too much storage.
0: Right. Well, and we, so when we moved into our house, we had a lot of empty, you know, like cabinets in the kitchen and, right. you know, we didn't have kids yet. So obviously we had two empty closets, but, it's amazing how quickly those little spaces oh, fill up with stuff it
1: is yeah well yeah. those are those are good nuggets uh well listen okay so moving on episode 37 and oh, as are i you said
0: th- is that cardin math or is that <laughs> no that's the that's, that's the actual the, that's actual math. <laughs> i check i check
1: do you do you know what episode <laughs> it is annie <laughs> cardin cardin's notorious for that so tonight we have robert raymond reappell and this guy's amazing um I actually found out about him uh through uh a app that uh works with podcasts people that guests for guests for podcasts and stuff and this guy is a he's a uh, well he's a entrepreneur he's a best-selling author he's an app designer which i really am curious about um and this guy travels the world helping people i mean that's what he wants to do and and i've watched some of his videos and read about the guy and he's really um, well, A is good at what he does, and he's pretty much dedicating his life to to helping other people. So I'm very excited to have him. We got a million questions, so so Robert, please say hello. <laughs> hello, Robert. Hey,
2: hello,
1: I'm, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I could listen to you two all day because you know, Annie. Right away,
3: you were giving me great hints because we actually just built a training center onto our house, and my wife, she said, if I get my fifteen hundred square foot training center, she gets her nine hundred square foot she shack a.k.a. the extra garage and uh-huh. when you two are talking and Blair you're talking about how you know your garages are all spacious I'm going uh-huh that's exactly the way my wife thinks as well
1: <laughs> yep yep <laughs> yep absolutely and you know what you you really the best time to do it is when you first do it you know going For back sure. over it is is terrible so um no that's awesome uh well Robert so so welcome um if you would please tell us about yourself
3: well, as you said, I'm an international best-selling author, a trainer, an app designer, a serial entrepreneur, uh, and I am not short. I am more grounded, and I am aerodynamic, so that's pretty <laughs> much who I am today, <laughs> and, and as you can tell, I love to have fun. I am a big believer that life is too short not to have fun, and one of my rules in life is if I'm not enjoying doing what I'm doing, I'm going to do something else, plain and simple.
1: Absolutely. And so is, so yeah. well oh go go ahead go ahead
3: well i was gonna say you know depending on how far back you want me to go i can tell you how i got to where i'm at today
1: <laughs> well yeah absolutely because well i'll just cheat a little bit um you you had some things in your adult life that kind of put you in a position where you needed to make a change um and i i would really like to hear about that you know you don't have to go way back but at that point in your life where you realize you know this isn't working out how I thought it would, I need to make a change. You know, how did you do that, and and how did you make those changes?
3: Yeah, yeah. well, a lot of it is interesting without a necessity, plain and simple. You know, i was taught here in central Alberta, straight north of you guys, and in central Alberta, very, very, find a job that's going to give you security, whether you like it or not, because if it's secure and you can provide for your family, you do the work even if you hate it. And that's how I grew up. You don't you you live inside the box. You don't question the box. You don't try to go outside the box. And I've been very blessed that my wife and I, my wife and I, we met when we were thirteen. We started dating when we were sixteen. And we got married when we were 19, and we just celebrated our 32nd wedding anniversary, and please do not do the math of how old I am right now. <laughs> and
1: oh, Congratulations.
3: <laughs> and what's cool, though, is we tell people I was innocent until I met my wife. And then she corrupted me in so many good ways because she is the out-of-the-box thinker. And, of course, the rules for how to get outside the box are on the outside of the box. And so she's always going, well, why is it that way? And I'd be like, cause that's the way it is. Yeah. But why? Well, cause they say it is. And why do you believe that? Well, cause that's the way it was taught. And so I started working young. By the time I'm 21, I was laid off from the third company and my mind's going, what's going on here? I'm working hard. I'm staying loyal. Why do I keep working for companies that shut down? And I started getting a complex, like, is it just me? That causes a company to go under? I don't know. And um, you know, In Alberta, we have lots of oil, but when oil prices are down, our economy sucks. So in 89, when I'm losing my third job, the only job I could do that I could find to provide for my family, I start delivering pizzas for Domino's Pizza. And because of my work ethic, I start making more money than I did in my real jobs. I end up becoming a manager. My wife becomes my assistant manager. And what do we do? We start working hard, open to close seven days a week, because that's what we know to do. And it was a year and a half in, roughly, when all of a sudden we're now qualified to be franchisees. And Blair and Annie, I don't know if you know much about Domino's Pizza, but you can't just buy a franchise. You actually have to qualify to be a franchisee. And you have to manage a store for at least a year, and you have to meet a bunch of criteria. And if you do, they actually waive the upfront franchise fee, but you still have to have the money to buy or build one. And here we are a year and a half in, and all of a sudden we get the news from my franchisee he's decided he's selling his stores. He wants out of Domino's. And I go into panic mode because we know enough that if a store is sold, the new owners come in and first people they get rid of are the managers because they want to bring their own team in. Mm-hmm. So what is my option or my mindset? We've got to find another franchisee to work for. So we got to call the other franchisees. And my wife looks at me and she goes, why would we do that? Why don't we just buy the store we're in? And I look at her and I'm like, because we don't have any money. That's why. <laughs> you know, back then, I'm making $400 a week. She's making $300 a week. That's not a lot of money, even back no, then. Yeah. And so luckily, my wife is tenacious, and we both have passion. She said, well, then let's figure it out. And we made a lot of mistakes. We started asking questions. How do you do it? We'd say the wrong things. We'd lose financing. We'd pay people that us financing. As soon as we paid them, all of a sudden, there was no financing. But every time something went wrong, we learned something. And after about four months, we now knew what to say and how to say it. And we went to our own bank, and we had the confidence. We got an introduction to the business manager, and he didn't give us the financing for the store we were working in. He actually gave us 100% financing for both stores. And now we are franchisees. And, of course, we're like, oh, this is amazing. (laughs) But the problem is we knew how to run a store, but we didn't. Know how to run a business. And I know you there's a big difference right there. And we struggled through for the, the first couple of years, but then we eventually figured out we started making pretty good money. And of course, our spending habits I'm, I hope to not shock you too, too much, because you've probably never heard of anybody doing this before. <laughs> we started spending more money than we were earning.
1: Oh, that's, that's incredible. That's
3: right. I, I know. <laughs>
1: yeah, I've never heard that before. <laughs>
3: right. I, I thought so. That's why I thought I'd better break it to you easily and gently. <laughs> and by the time we were franchisees for eight years, we're over $150,000 in debt going down quickly and stressed out beyond belief. And I don't know if you, uh, to me, financial stress is one of the worst stresses a person can go through. Sure. And that's, that's when we're introduced to personal development. We ended up going to a three day weekend in a little town in central Alberta, Red Deer, Alberta, actually only about 12 kilometers from me right now. And this three-day weekend, first, we learned why we spent money the way we did. Second, we took ownership of it. We quit blaming other people for our financial position. And third, we learned some specific things we could do and habits we could create to overcome that. And putting it into action, because my wife and I were so desperate, we're like, we'll do whatever it takes. Next thing you know, we go from over $150,000 in debt to actually retired completely financially free nine months later at the age of 32.
2: Mm.
1: Yep. <laughs> did, did you keep the franchises or, or did you end up selling the franchises? Oh,
3: we ended up selling. Um, we had one store left by the time we went to the, um, the training itself. And we sold that store and got uh, like a whole lifetime ago. Back in 2002, we sold that store. That helped get rid of some of the debt, which allowed us to create financial freedom. And yeah, it it was like, now what? (laughs) And uh, it was like, our our minds said, if that information gave us this result, what would more information do? And that's when we dove in to start learning from as many masters as we could. Because I'm a big believer, do not just learn one way. Don't just learn from one person. And as we were learning so much, I found my passion was to be a trainer. Because here's how the dream started for me, Blair. Is I believe that if I could even help one person, one person do what my wife and I had done, go from deep in debt to financially free, it would make it all worthwhile. And now 18 and a half plus years later, I've been blessed to travel around the world several times and personally teach over half a million people in three to five day trainings where I'm on stage for up to 12 hours a day living my passion.
1: Wow, that's a, that's a pretty quick transformation. You know, I mean, I mean, the original, the 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 from being in debt to what did you say nine months later? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's incredible.
3: Yeah, and incredible. and you notice, um, you know, one of the things that a lot of people don't think of, and, and I'm going to put you on the test, Annie, since this is your first co-host. Great. When when I said I went, <laughs> well, you know, Blair said to put you to the test.
1: Please do. You know, <laughs> so
3: I'm going to do that. And and by the way, when he was introducing you, and you said where were you on the list? My mind went to 37 because you said something about 37 before we hit record. And I thought, he put it that far down on the list? Bad, Blair.
2: <laughs>
3: Come on. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. That's I, way I...
0: higher than I thought it was.
3: <laughs> well, see, so there, it's already a win. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in all, in all seriousness or not, Annie, when I said I went from over $150,000 in debt to financially free in nine months, what did your mind think? Did your mind think that... I was doing okay I must have been um, quite wealthy I got rid of all my debt where did your mind go when I said that
0: I my mind went to debt-free so your house is paid off your yeah all your monthly bills are taken care of
2: okay but there's always
0: that like okay then what like yeah for now today your your things are covered but next month you're also gonna have to pay for the power so like what was your next step (laughs)
3: See, and and the way you answered, that's pretty much where people's minds go. They go, oh, my goodness. And they're like, you became an instant millionaire. And I'm like, no, that's not what I said. See, one of the things we learned is the definition of financial freedom is when your passive income, obviously, because you guys know real estate, you understand what passive income is. Mm -hmm. Money working instead of you or business working. When you have enough passive income to pay for your monthly expenses, you're actually financially free. And so in that nine months, we didn't get out of debt. We didn't get rid of all of our debt. We learned about passive income, something we never knew about, and we were able to find a couple passive incomes that started to grow rather quickly. But at mm-hmm. the same time, we aggressively looked at our lifestyle and said, what is it that we have that we're having to pay expenses on right now that it's nice to have them, but do we really need them right mm-hmm. now in our life? And we mm-hmm. started simplifying our life. So in the nine months, we became financially free. We barely had enough that it paid our bills but what it gave us was time freedom because now we didn't have to work. We went from working 60, 70, 80 hours a week just to earn a living to now having all that time freed up. And and because I am aerodynamic, I am a genie, and I'm gonna say to you, Blair, if I was to grant you the wish and say, here's 60 extra hours per week, do you think you would find some great stuff to do with that extra time?
1: yeah I, I, I really would uh, just because of the person I am I, 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 I think if you asked a lot of people that question you get a different response. but' I'm, I'm just I'm a serial entrepreneur myself and so yeah. I just I, I like to work. Um, I've been very blessed to have a, a lot of work that I enjoy doing. so not that it's not work, but it's it's actually work I enjoy. And totally. you know you know when I've <laughs> built up a business and sold it, the, the excitement comes rushing back about oh. another, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like the dog chasing the car and you finally catch the car, you got to find a new car, you know? That's right. It's, that's right. And, and so for me personally, um, I never really have an issue of, of finding things to do personally. Yeah. And,
3: and see, that's why I am a serial entrepreneur because you and I are so alike that way. Because when you get to wake up in the morning going, I love what I'm doing, it's amazing. Instead of waking up in the morning going, oh my God, here we right. go again. Right. right. And also we had this 60, to 70 hours freed up. And what we did is we started to learn more because we wanted to really grow ourselves. But the other thing we did is we said if we take 10 hours. So we went from working 60, 70 hours a week being stressed out to now having all this free time. If we only take 10 hours from that and we actually focus on creating wealth with that time, all of a sudden creating wealth became so easy. So one of the things I love to tell my students is this. Don't try and become rich right away if you're financially stressed. Let's get you financially free first to give you that time freedom and to take the pressure off of you where now you can focus on the creating wealth because if you do it that way, the creating wealth will seem like it's seamless, easy, and, and it'll just flow to you if that makes sense. And so that's what I love to show people.
0: Hey, Robert, can I ask a quick question? Um, back to your passive income, what were your two sources of passive income? that you guys discovered right away?
3: They were actually two internet-based ones um, that aren't, haven't been around for years, but they had a residual where there was a, like a, a stock part to it and a residual income to it, and they were both based on that. Uh, in the beginning, I didn't know how to make a passive income permanent and do the proper due diligence. They lasted long enough to get us financially free and create more passive income. Um, in real estate, as an example, I love doing second mortgages. I love being the second mortgagee and being the bank. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of the ones that my wife and I love to do nowadays.
1: Wow, so, so uh, would you consider yourself a numbers guy? Yes. And, and have you, even back when, you know, the domino story and, and things financially were not great or, you know, as you describe them, were you still a numbers guy then or are you a newly found numbers guy?
3: You know, in, in somewhat, I've always been a numbers guy, but nowadays I'm more focused on it because that's, how, that's the scorecard, you know, and, was, and the numbers sure. don't lie.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
3: yeah and, and to kind of put it in perspective, one of, the, when one of our learning curves, when we first became franchisees, we're already working seven days a week and our mind said, we can't afford an accountant. We'll do it on our own. And we're, so, as you can imagine, um, you know, our whole running uh, concept of being successful for the first two years of being franchisees was, if there's money in the bank, we must be doing okay. Because, of course, after working seven days a week, we didn't have time to keep up our accounting. And it wasn't until all of a sudden, you know, we're getting that knock from the government going, uh, hello, you're a business. We haven't seen a tax return. And don't we finally hired. Yeah, don't forget them. <laughs> we we yeah. finally hired an accountant. And all of a sudden, they did the paperwork up, and we got all caught up. Went through stressful times doing that, and they looked at us and they're like, "How did you guys make it these last two years? There's no way you should have." And it, you know, at, at that time, ignorance was bliss. We just knew that you know because we both come from poor families. When times are tough, we make it work. And my wife and I did. But as soon as we started getting an account and we started seeing the numbers, that's when we became profitable. That's when we started growing that's when things started changing for us.
1: Absolutely. So, so Robert, I have a question. Um, how important was the synergy with your wife to your success?
2: Because <laughs> as, as you
1: describe it, I'm listening to it, and, and I love the fact that you're giving her a lot of credit. And I mean, do you, do you honestly think, could you have done that with, without her and without that synergy?
3: Here's what I will say to that. If it was left up to me, I would be in a job still today, miserable, but comfortable right? because it was not easy to get me to change some of my habits. Um, My wife is the reason I am where I'm at today because she's the one that's not willing to let me play smaller than I am. And it's a gift we now give each other, even if it means she has to give me a swift kick in the ass to get me going because she sees the potential in me. Left to myself, I would play small and I did for years. And so today, being who I am today, it would be a different story if I was, you know, 30 years younger and, and knowing the knowledge I do now. But right. it, I look at my dad and we've learned we can't change him, but I definitely see where I got all my programming from because, you know, he is an in-the-box person. Don't even yeah. think of going outside the box. Right. So, yeah, she is, she is the reason we're, where we are today.
1: That's awesome.
0: Has that caused any tension between, like, your wife and your family?
3: Um, yes and no. It, and, and look, you know, when I say we have 32 years of marriage, there's always ups and downs and you marry someone, you marry their family. And so there's, we're very close <laughs> to both sides of the family, but we've had our ups and downs with them, right? Because, you know, it's funny is when we announced to our families that we're going to buy our Domino's pizza, everybody freaked out. Because they're not entrepreneurs. They're like, well, that, what, what if it doesn't work? What if you fail? What if... And they had all these reasons of why we shouldn't do it, why we should stay you know, um, comfortable in a job, or why we should stay secure in a job. And we're like, no, we're going for it. But so funny is nine years later, when we announced we're getting out of Domino's Pizza, because we're not enjoying it anymore, often they're like, you can't do that. What are you going to do? <laughs> and it's like,
0: really? <laughs> So let me ask about um, in in uh, America for sure. There's this f- influx of mid-level marketing companies. Is that is that big in Canada? And tell me like what's your opinion on those? I here's why I clarify, ask is I feel yeah, like, clarify like,
3: mid-level marketing.
0: So when I'm when I'm talking mid-level marketing, I'm talking like someone comes up to me and says, "Hey, I'm in this. I'm in this business. It's super easy. You make super good money." All you have to do is get three friends signed up to buy this product every month. You'll make $100 a month. And then, you know, there's like all these people up the line well, that continue a, to make money. Kind of a
1: pyramid deal, Well, huh?
0: yeah, but they're not, it's a mid-level marketing. And so then, you know, and then it's like, okay, but now like you need to get three people signed up under you and then you're gonna make even more money. Yeah. So like some of these things, there's people at the top who are making bank in passive income because they're yes. just sitting back letting all these little people do the work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I think, I mean, my perception is like, you're just, uh, you invest in this and then you are, I don't know, I'm kind of anti mid-level marketing right now. So.
3: I could not tell, any. I could not tell.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Jeez, and so,
3: yeah, and so network marketing or yes, multi-level yes. marketing, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So now I know, see, so here's my answer. There's two, especially for someone who's never done business before, there's two types of businesses I'm a huge believer in. One is um, a franchise because it has systems. And if you follow the systems, you can do very, very well. The biggest, you know, in Domino's Pizza, they love to tout the uh, statistics that 95% of the franchisees were started off as driver's. Because, again, you had to qualify. And that the average age of a franchisee is 23, which is when my wife and I um, became franchisees, that's how old we were. So that they love to sh- share those statistics with everybody. The statistic they didn't like to share is that the average new franchisee went bankrupt within the first six months.
2: Ooh. Oh, wow.
3: and, and, and the reason is is because at 23, you're, as a manager, you're working for someone else. You follow the system's type. All okay. sudden, you become the franchisee, ego kicks, and you're going to go. I'm now get to do it my way. I'm the boss. And at the end of our at the end of our franchise journey, that's what my wife and I actually did for ten months. Is we'd go into stores that were bankrupt or about to go bankrupt. Within three months, we could walk out, and the stores and the sales would be going up by hundred percent plus. The costs are, so the uh, expenses would go down. The profits and the sales would be going up by over hundred percent. And people like, oh my god, you're brilliant. How are you guys doing it? We're like. Uh, we're cutting out all the crap and going back to the actual system of Domino's Pizza. And that's how we did it. So that's one kind of business I believe in, for especially new entrepreneurs. The other one, and it's going to go against you, Annie, is I believe in network marketing because it has a system. And if you actually follow the system, you can do very, very well. And take a look at the statistics. The average Domino's Pizza, when I left, was $250,000 to buy or build one. And each store, you are basically buying yourself a $60,000 a year job. Mm-hmm. But with network marketing, for a few hundred investment, and if you treat it like a million dollar business, do the work, you can actually create an income well above anything that can be done in a franchise. So right. I I do believe in both of those.
1: See the the thing with the multi <clears throat> or the the network uh, marketing. Net, network or, yeah. marketing. I think the, the problem for me with some of it is it's how it's it's how it's conveyed. It comes off yeah. as pokey and it reminds me of the old pyramid. Yeah. And that isn't so much a judgment of the you know the the system as itself. It's really the people that get involved and how they a lot like what you just said with the Dominos people. How those individuals choose to kind of market their own, you know, yeah. plan. And yeah. and I think a lot of people come off as that proverbial you know, scam or yeah, sure it is. You know, and that's.
2: Totally.
1: I, I remember the I first totally time. I totally agree
3: with that. Totally well, agree with
1: I, that. I remember the first time I was uh, invited to an Amway, you know, meeting, and I'm like, oh, geez, it's Amway, and it was just like you'd think. I mean, just like I thought, it was cheesy. It was, uh, you know, all these promises, all this stuff, and I thought, you know, it just totally turned me off. Okay, so fast forward twenty years ago. And I was working at a hospital. I was worked in sports medicine. I'm talking to this neurologist. Okay, he's an MD. And he says, yeah, I do Amway on the side. And I looked at him, I go, you do Amway? And he goes, oh, yeah. He says, I got four kids in college. He says, I make good money being a neurologist, but it takes a lot of money to send four kids to college. <laughs> and we sat and talked about it. And his whole, his whole take on it was so completely different. Right. Yeah. And it was so not scammy and not cheesy, and the fact that the guy was a practicing neurologist gave it a lot of credibility. That this this isn't for some guy operating out of a van in the parking lot. You know. Exactly. Um, And and so, no, I I see what you're saying, Robert. That that you can't really you can't throw out the whole system because of how some kind of mis you know uh, represent it. I guess.
3: Yes, and that's exactly it. And because you will get the ones that are coming in going, oh, it's easy, it's peasy, you sign up, you'll be making bank like crazy. But the ones that really do well are the ones that come in and say, learn the system, follow the system, but know you have to put the work in. So start part-time, do it as a side hustle so that you can earn, because one of my mentors taught me something a few years ago that I live by. He says, you make a living from nine to five for those of you know people that still work 9 to 5 he said but you create a life from 5 until 9 and so what are you doing in those extra hours to really create the life you want and so blair when you're saying you love being an entrepreneur one of the reasons you're successful is because you don't just sit there and go oh I'm ready to earn a living you are excited about creating the life you want so you it, you know how many people come home and oh I just finished work I'm going to sit down and do nothing or I'm going to go on to the games or whatever it is, is take a couple of hours and invest in what you want to be good at or how you want to create a life. And that's how you create the life. But people are afraid um, to put the work in. Or they think it should be, you know, I could go into a whole uh, (laughs) rabbit hole here. There's a good book I I would recommend. It's called Pendulum. Pendulum. And one of the authors is Michael Drew. And he talks about 40-year cycles that cultures go through. They backed it up by 3,000 years of going back 3,000 years in research to show these two 40-year cycles. And one of the 40-year cycles is I'm ready to learn, show me, I, I'm, I need a, I'm looking for gurus, I'll put in the work, I'm ready to go. The other 40-year cycle, which North America entered into in about 2003 and 2004, started coming into it. So we're only 15 years into the cycle. It's entitlement. I shouldn't have to do anything. You better prove it to me because I don't believe it until you, you know, show me how it's done. And that's, if you understand the cycles, you can actually benefit and profit in both um, types. And so, but having that understanding allows you to then understand people and their mindset. And that's why so many people now, they just, no, no, I shouldn't have to work. You should just hand something out to me. And look how evident that was when the pandemic hit. And all of a sudden the government started handing out assistance and look at how many people were thrilled. and, And here in Alberta, our RV sales and car sales went through the roof because oh, I, as people were getting these subsidies, they went to buy toys.
1: It oh, abso- absolutely. They, they said that the, the big winners were video games, big screen TVs, uh, RVs. Um, yeah, absolutely. People got that mo- and, Well, in crypto, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody yeah. wanted to make money in crypto, but uh, they, they spent money how normally, uh, if they had to go out and earn that money, they wouldn't have done that. Right. Exactly. They, they, that's, which is actually fascinating. I mean, that's a case study in itself is is how people react with money they're given versus with money they earn, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> because they're, you know, even myself, but, but definitely with other people, you see um, there's a difference for yeah. sure.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And Annie, to your point too, on the, for network marketing, you know, for me to wrap up on that is the people, when I train trainers, I tell them never, ever, sell something you don't believe in 100%. And that goes the same with why you see such a big thing in network marketing is some people get in it just for the money they think they're going to make. But the people that do well and stick are the ones that the product or service has actually changed their life, made an impact on their life. And so they come from that different direction that you were mentioning, Blair, where it's like, look, this is what it's done for me because it wasn't something where I'm just going in to make a quick buck. And that is the big difference. And it's like any industry, really
0: yeah well, and I think so many of these like network- network marketing businesses are so far down the line you know with from the top to where a lot of the people are that it just like you said that system or the you know the processes have mm-hmm. been lost, and so you are seeing that quick that quick turnaround in money and um, you know, it's easy to sell your product to all your closest friends and family and then, <laughs> you know, six months down the oh, road yeah. you're like, okay, now 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 what? You know, so <laughs> yeah. so you do get that immediate, you know, that immediate kickback and then um yeah, then you're kinda like, all right, well this isn't exactly how I anticipated and, oh
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're so, part of
3: the NFL. No friends left club.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: My my wife when we were in college, um, she had a friend that approached her about Mary Kay. Um and Robert, are you familiar with Mary Kay Cosmetics? I'm sure.
3: Yeah, I have a niece that does very, very well in it.
1: Yeah, and 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 some people do very well. So uh, she approached Nikki and said, "Nikki, would you like to come to a party?" And and that's how you know it's a hosted party, and you get there and you meet all these other Mary Kay enthusiasts. And she did, and it really wasn't her thing, but she went anyway. And, and of course, we were starving, and so she decided to do it and i'll fast forward a little bit she had a couple little parties at her house and invited friends over and did their makeup and stuff and after a couple of these she said well what do you think and i said well i said uh they kind of look like cheap prostitutes (laughs) (laughs) i said i'm i'm really sorry but it's just that you're really heavy on the you know the rouge and the and the uh what's the uh you know, the the eye Yeah, that, sorry. The eye shadow. I said, Nikki, you're overdoing it. I think a little more subtle, you know? And, and she goes, you know what? I, I just, this isn't for me. And it, it really wasn't, because she wasn't really big into makeup herself. Um, yeah. But, but we met people through that, and they were fantastically successful.
3: Well, and see, and that's like anything. It's like, you mentioned Podmatch, how you and I have been connected. The people I have met through Podmatch has blown me away because I'm meeting some great people that are adding value to the world. And I'm like, why wasn't I doing this years ago? Because what a great way to help spread good messages out to people.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, really. Um, So, so Robert, I have a question and, and I, and, and generally speaking, okay. You don't have to put absolute numbers on there, but um, are, do you think most people are not good with money?
3: Oh, without a doubt. When, when we were only teaching in North America, we thought North Americans were the only ones messed up around money. The moment we went to Asia, and all of a sudden we saw that people were the exact same uh, mindset. I even went to Brunei, a country, 450,000 people, because they have a, a lot of oil, the second oldest or longest running monarch in the world they pay no taxes on anything. All their care is paid for They have no extra expenses. They get to keep all their money and yet they were worse off financially than we were in North America because they had never been taught how to manage their money. So absolutely it's, it's astronomical how bad people are with it.
1: I mean, would you even venture to guess a percentage? Would you say that, you know, 75% of the people higher, um, higher, really?
3: Wow. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And because for 18 and a half years, I've, train thousands of people at a time that realize why they're bad at money. And so I've, I've lived it for the last 18 and a half years. That's why I can confidently say sure. over 75%.
0: So what's your, like, what's your key takeaway, your clue, if you will, I don't know if this is a clue. Like, what do you see as the biggest factor in why people are bad with their money? Like, what are they doing? That's
3: it's are not they... being taught in school. It, that's the biggest problem is we're not taught how to manage money. Uh, and look at, like kids, they get handed money. They want money, it's just handed to them, so they're never, most of them are not taught how to actually be fiscally responsible. Think of why school was created. School was created so mom and dad could be put into the factories and work, and then they realized that was working so well. Think of kindergarten, German word for children's garden. The, Germany needed the parents in the factories, so they said, we'll take care of the kids, and then they realized, well, if we're taking the kids, we can actually educate, the next level of our workers. And so school teaches you how to be a worker. That's why they don't want you to have to know finances and understand how to do that. Because if you do, then you might not want to be a worker and get a job. And so that's, you know, a short snippet of that rabbit hole.
1: (laughs) That's it. Yeah, that's actually, that's incredible. Um, You know, I, I, myself uh and i would say it was pretty typical um i didn't have a lot of conversations with my parents about money per se um i i my dad's thing was if you want money work and earn it right mm-hmm. um my my dad was of the generation that you know uh handouts just you know I'll, I'll pay you got housing you got room and board we pay for your essentials you want a drum set you want a car go out and get the money and earn it same. and or, or yep. and and that that was a very valuable lesson i mean and i and i i've never harvested or, or harbored i should say any resentment to him for that because it it taught me probably one of the most important lessons in my life which is um if you want something don't expect others to give it to you you have to go out and and be prepared to earn it um yeah and, and you're absolutely right uh, there is a whole generation or multiple generations right now um, but, but I, you know, and Robert, you can weigh in on this too. I, I can't fault just the schools and I can't fault the kids because I see a lot of parents, you know, the schools aren't buying these kids iPhones. The schools aren't letting them buy $200 right. tennis shoes, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. So, so I mean, it, it obviously is a bigger societal issue than mm-hmm. just the schools not having accounting and teaching entrepreneurship, although I think that no. would
3: really, really help. It, it is it's, generational. And if you look at it, because children... If in the teachings we do and the research we've done, up until the age of five is when children develop how they're going to handle things from what they see, they hear, and they experience. And then, so today as an adult, most adults are making their major decisions, especially financial, based on what they learned up to about the age of five. And there's a whole reason behind that and, and why that conditioning happened. But when they sit there, and, and so my parents, like I said, they knew that if times were tough, they could make it work. Until I hit grade four, I never spent more than six months in any school because just to provide for the family, we were constantly having to move from town to town for my parents to find work. Mm. And, and we never went without. And it was the same kind of teaching. If you want something, you've got to go in and um, earn the money. So I was a young entrepreneur. I was doing papers at nine. I was you know babysitting. You know, My 11 years old, I spent my entire summer – Five days a week, taking care of three children for eight hours a day, one being a baby, that I had to change diapers, get the formula ready, and I was 11. Ooh. What person in their right mind would allow that today?
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? so, let me ask this question, because I, <clears throat> so Robert, my husband and I have two kids, um, a little girl that's seven, and then a little boy that's four. And so in our friend group uh, recently, the conversation came up about allowance. And, you know, how are different fam- families handling allowance? Are you... And so it's tricky because we we talked about chores, like, do you pay your kids to do chores? Well, as adults, we don't get paid to do the chores around the house, you know, the things that that just need to be done for the functions of the home. Do you just give your kids money and let them, (laughs) you know, do with it what they will? Mm -hmm. Do you force them to, um, you know, like, break it down into, you're gonna tie this much, you're gonna, invest this much you're going to save you know like right what i mean it's tricky because as parents we you don't did. want to set our kids up for this cyclical failure that's no. happening in kids and money but also like you don't want to uh, personally i don't think that we should be paying our children to do chores around the house because that's just a part of being a member in the house like having some responsibilities and
1: pulling and your j- weight yeah
0: pulling your weight, pulling essentially. Your weight yes, absolutely. yeah um, absolutely absolutely you know, and, and one friend, which I really thought this was a neat idea, they've got, the her boys have an aunt that gives them money for their birthday and Christmas, but in the card she writes, you know, this $50, um, you, need to give, you need to give $10 of it. You need to save, you know, $20 of it, and then the last 20 is yours to spend. Mm-hmm, and right. I thought that was a really neat, you know, concept, because now this is money you know that they get they they yes it's a gift um but also it is teaching them that you know like planning planning out your money mm-hmm. you know like every dollar exactly. has a purpose and so what are you doing with every penny of that dollar
3: accountability
0: yeah and well, so
3: and it, it is accountability and it, and it comes to what you had, um Blair had said earlier about being a numbers person and Annie you know the reason I kind of cut in there is because one of the things is Most parents are doing exactly what you're doing right now. You're trying to figure it out, and you're overthinking it. And, you know, I I was in front of a Zen teacher, and I was doing a four-day retreat, and someone asked a question of her. She said, look, it seems like from everything I've learned, if I do this, I'm going to mess my kids up. If I do that, I'm going to mess my kids up. What do I do? And the Zen teacher answered it so beautifully. She said, look, no matter what you do, you're going to mess your kids up. So do it in the way that's most convenient (laughs) to you, and trust that they're going to figure it out. And so I thought that was brilliant on her part. And for what I would say to your question, though, Annie, is this: is model for your kids. Don't try right. and tell them what to do with it. Right. Model. Exactly. Yeah. The biggest change that happened for my wife and I is we learned to manage our money. Where whether it was a gift, whether it was earned, any money that came our way, we divided it into six different accounts, each one having its own specific. And it wasn't about the amount or the percentage; it was the habit. The habit was way more important. And so when I'm teaching parents now, because that's what I teach them is the main thing, is often they'll, I'll tell them, if your children see you do it and you make it fun, they'll start doing it. And so whether it's money that comes from allowance, because I totally agree with you on that. You know, some parents don't want to give allowance um, for doing chores and others do. If you don't believe that, you know, that it's just, okay, you're here and you're doing chores, that's awesome. Yeah, that was my family. We never got paid to do chores, and it gave me that value. But when it comes time that they do get money, whether it's from an aunt or a gift or a work, ask them, are you now managing it the way we showed you how to do it, and let's do it together. You know, I had a friend who started his 8- and 10-year-old sons off with this. As soon as he learned about the jars and it changed his life financially, the account, he started teaching his boys. And because he made it fun with them, one of the, the accounts is for passive income, your financial freedom. And about five months into doing these accounts, they had enough money in their account to actually, they, they come up to him and he, they're like, Dad, we have a question. He's like, what is it? They said, well, we have this money in our financial freedom account here and we want a passive income. And he's like, my boy. He was so proud <laughs> because, you know, they're asking him and he had been modeling it and he hadn't even realized how closely they were watching. He said, so how can I help you? And he, they said, well, we want to know how to get it working. What passive income can we do? And he sat down and he asked them probably the most important question he could have. Instead of saying, what do you think will make you the most money? He said, what do you guys enjoy? And through that conversation, they realized at 8 and 10, they like candy. So they had enough money to buy one candy dispenser. And so they bought the machine and some candy to put in it, the kind that you put a coin in. They found a business that allowed them to put it in the, um, in the staff room once a week. Him and his two sons, they'd go empty the money out, put more candy in it. Within a few months, they had enough to buy two more, and he helped them place those. That was at 8 and 10. By the time they were 18 and 20, they were both completely financially free on their own because they'd been managing their money. Wow! In fact, he wanted to buy an island because that was one of his dreams. And guess who loaned him money to help him buy the island and became partners with him?
0: His kids. <laughs> the kids.
1: Yep. His, his rich awesome. kids. His rich, obviously. Yep.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, so would you consider investing a passive income?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's, that's money working for you. Right. That's the one type of passive income. Anything that's giving you interest, dividends, some kind of return, absolutely that can be a passive
1: income. There, there was a guy I met, and I, I, I will say he was the most independently successful person I ever met, and it was a chance encounter when I was traveling, and um, he wasn't a billionaire, but he would be, you know, big, big millionaire, and we were talking about it, and and I was a little bold with my questions, and he he didn't mind it; he was he was glad to ask or glad to answer, and when I asked him, you know, what what's your secret, basically. he said, you're never gonna make real money. Well, he had two things. One was, um, you got to get out and you got to do it yourself. Take action, right? He was an action guy.
3: Step number three in my book.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the other thing was, you'll never make real money until you have other people making it for you. Yeah. And some people take that the wrong way. But what he's saying is, even if you're a doctor, okay, and you're paid hourly, you're paid phenomenally, but you're still limited to that hourly wage yeah whereas you own a franchise you own multiple franchises you own multiple businesses people you can be at the beach and your bank account is growing you know yeah and Absolutely. that's his point and, and that was a great lesson for me the whole put your money to work that's been my mantra for you know 30 years put your money to work Um, And there's lots of, I I don't even want to kind of define how you do that. There's millions of ways of doing that. But the one thing that, and I've really tried to harp on my kids about this and through modeling as well, is money just sitting there idle, unless it has a purpose. I'm not saying no savings and things like that. But I'm saying if there's a better way to use your money, if there's something productive your money can be doing, do it. You know, And a lot of people that I've met, just talking about that, have a really hard time with that. They like to look at their savings account and see big numbers. And I'm the opposite. I, if I see big numbers in my savings, I'm going that money is just sitting there depreciating.
3: You know, that's right. Uh, exactly. It, exactly. Yeah.
1: So I, I guess you know, tying into what what your advice is, you know, how do you handle that? You know, when you're when you're bringing in money, um, you know, are are you an advocate of putting to work and for the average people that are not going to go out and buy a franchise you know what do you think are the most accessible ways of putting your money to work
3: well and see that's going to come to each individual i tell people because there are so many ways of having your money work pick something that you enjoy learning about or want to become more knowledgeable in so that when times are tough because it's not always going to be easy you're going to hit hiccups if you're just doing something that you're trying to like look at crypto How many people were glued to their screens every five minutes watching it go up and going, oh my God, oh my God. And then when it crashed there, it stressed out because they were just doing it because someone told them it was going to make them money, right?
2: Right. right. And
3: so that's not pleasurable. That's not fun, (laughs) right? And so find something that you enjoy. If you enjoy real estate, start learning about it and put little bits in. Uh, A mentor of mine, Phil Town, you know, two time New York Times bestselling author, he practices. The uh, um, investing the way that oh and his name just went Warren Buffett ways, way of investing, and one of the things he says is he says you know start learning about if you want to do investing start learning, invest a thousand dollars get in and actually start doing it. If you lose it, you you've learned something and you've only lost a thousand. You can get another thousand and go again. But if you try to figure out how to be perfect at it before you start, you'll never start. There's that taking action thing, right? And so when it comes to the different passive income, if you're an everyday person, understand that everything has risk. And it's not a higher interest rate gives you more risk. It's your lack of knowledge that makes an investment risky. You can have 1% or half a percent in the bank in your savings account, but that money's still at risk because it's depreciating like you just explained. And in Canada, they just passed a rule a few years ago did you know our banks can actually now charge us interest to have our money in their savings accounts?
1: Yes, I did know that. Did you know that?
3: Isn't that insane? Yeah, they can, wow. they can
1: actually charge you to store your money.
3: Huh. Yeah. And so there's good debt and there's bad debt. You know, like, And then I'm not recommending this for everybody, but I'm like you by the sounds of it, Blair, in so many ways, is when I'm looking at the mortgage rates right now, I don't want my house paid off
0: because exactly. if I've got a
3: mortgage rate of 1.7%, and i and i don't look at an investment that makes me less than 10 to 15 or more percent i I'd, I'd rather have a mortgage and have that ex, extra equity making the 10 15 20% consistently Absolutely. who wouldn't do that and again i'm not recommending people do that because look like everything there's risk you've got to well, understand it
1: well and robert the whole thing is that when here's what people are going to hear you know a mortgage is okay and then they're going to take that money and they're going to go on vacations and they're going to, they're going to buy a new car. They're going to buy that boat that they wanted. Exactly. And they're, they're missing the critical part of, of what you're saying. And, and, and this was laid out, um, a guy that was, you, you know, another kind of investment type person, but he's very up on what, what do the billionaires do? And he would make yeah. a point of talking about this. You, you want to see how to handle money. What did the billionaires do? The billionaires are always in debt. They're always in debt because they understand equity. You, you don't want a lot of equity in things. You, you, you want to, unless you're at a point where you don't need any more money or don't want any more money. You know, that's exactly. a different story. Yep. Um, and, and I, and I, I think it's a, it's a perfect point. Exactly to your point, you know, a guy that I know says anything less than 5% is stupid cheap. I mean, in other words, yep. you're stupid not to take advantage of it. Um, a, a company that I worked with, when interest rates went down, they went into acquisition mode. They said they're basically paying you to spend money. True. Yep. I mean, that's how they looked yep. at it.
3: Yeah. And, and look, I owned a house in Calgary. We bought it at construction because the real estate market was about to go hot. This was in 2005. And we bought it. And within a year, it had doubled in value. So we took $300,000 in equity out at 2.6% mortgage rate, and I turned it, I became the second mortgagee. I became the bank on investments because I had friends that were really good at securing my investment, and mm-hmm. we were lending it out at 13% consistently. So do the math on the split. I was making good money off of that, and I was happy.
1: <laughs> you're, servicing your, you're servicing your debt plus you're banking additional money. Positive cash flow, gotta love it.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think just you know, from a bit of a a less math point of view, a bit more of a dummy point of view, I feel like it's nice to have that responsibility of paying that mortgage every month because it would be super easy to be blowing that money if you weren't, if you didn't have the resp- responsibility to pay that mortgage every month, it would be easy to blow that, you know, yeah. eight hundred bucks, whatever, on frivolous mm-hmm. things that are not, that money is not working for you. Where when you're paying that that. mortgage, (laughs) when you're paying that mortgage, it is, that money is essentially working for you.
1: Well, absolutely. And, And you know, and there's a lot to be said for, you know, you got to enjoy life,
0: right?
2: You
1: know, don't, oh, yeah. it's, it's not a mortal sin to buy a fishing boat. I, right. I mean, you know, yeah. I, and I, you know, I, I've always advocated, yeah, you, you don't want to put everything off until you, you know, quote unquote, retire and have this bank full of money because life happens. Um, that's not what I'm saying at all, but, but you know what? Um, most of us, when you look at your earnings, there is a, there is a percentage that you can play with, you mm-hmm. know,
3: the, I, I think, and I call that the play account.
1: The play, I play There you go.
3: Ten percent to do things you would never think of doing because you don 't think you could afford it. it allows that inner child. Why do some people save all their life and one bad investment wipes them out is because they 've never let that inner child play, and often it has a chance to go hey, my turn, and often it wipes them out financially, so yes, playing is so important
1: yeah, I, I just you know to me um, so, so let me, let me uh, throw this at you, Robert. You are. Um, you're God for a day, or, or you're the president, or you're the prime minister for a day, what would you do to try to promote um, better money skills? Hmm.
3: I would see if I could get it as a required lesson in school, a class.
1: Now, are you thinking entrepreneurship, or are you thinking just, you know, because obviously no. we have math, let's start,
3: let's start money management. Start with okay. money management.
1: Okay. Uh, keep it
3: easy.
0: Like basic budgeting, you're thinking?
3: Yeah, and and how that a dollar comes in. How do you divide that dollar up? How do you look at each dollar? Because again, like I said, I'm talking six accounts. So, you know, wealth rule number one, pay yourself first. So here's 10 cents out of that dollar. It goes into your financial freedom. Money that's going to be there for when you retire. You become your own pension plan. You're not relying on a government. You're not relying on a, a company to take care of you. If everything else goes wrong with that, you've got yourself taken care of and you pay yourself first. It's the same thing with golden rule for me is in time. You know, I talk about four currencies and one currency is money. The the second one is time. Why don't people pay themselves first in their balance pieces, time with family, time for their health? You know, and and that's, that's a whole other thing. So I would have basic. Here's how to account. I wouldn't call it budgeting. Here's how to manage your money and teach it in grade school so that kids understand it. So that when they come out of school into the real world, they're not in shock all of a sudden. Of Oh, what do you mean? Uh, I get taxes taken off my account? Why is that
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, you, you would you would probably solve a, a lot of a lot of problems um, and that in you know, as we talked about it, it isn't simple by any means, you know, um, you know, we we my wife and I have three kids. And we, we tried to raise them pretty much the same. And they're all different with their money. Our youngest, you know, the, the, the older two were more typical, I think. The youngest um, was a hoarder. And he was the kind of kid that if you left a dollar sitting there, he would acquire it. So we, we have this funny story. <laughs> we, we took the kids as piggy banks. We, we were like, okay, guys, it's a big day. We're gonna go down and open a savings account. And so each of the kids grabbed their own piggy banks. Uh, I think my oldest was about twelve, my youngest was five, and so we go down there. And seriously, we, we were trying to make this kind of a special deal. You get to go to the bank, and we meet with these people. So my oldest had fifteen dollars in his piggy bank. Uh, my middle child, a daughter, had. Uh, like $9.50, okay? My five-year-old had $123. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that is a true story. He, awesome. he had scavenged, and, and that was back, uh, Robert, do you remember when the, well, in the U.S., there was a time when the gold dollars, the silver, the, you yeah. know, it's like a, yep. they were really popular. The yep. And my dad used to give the kids those for Christmas. Well, the other kids treated them like quarters or something, so my youngest hoarded them right and i'm saying you left it out well sorry you snooze you lose you know so yeah so when we go to the account or the bank yeah the little five-year-old had 123 dollars and we're like okay i don't quite know how to explain that but <laughs>
2: oh, so the, awesome.
1: the, it, well there's got to you know and there has to be a a, a kind of a, a what do you call it a free will right. component you mm-hmm. know i mean mm-hmm. like you said robert you, you do you know, you can take the same three kids and try to teach them the same stuff, but some kids it it resonates with, and I think some, they're just like, you know, maybe not.
3: And and Blair, not just kids. I've personally taught over half a million people around the world, and they all will take the system and have a different understanding to it, and they'll put their own perspective on it. And so, and some, very few will do it, and most won't, and then they'll go, why is my life not changing? And you have no control over that. All we can do is we can share it, teach them, and know that, and, you know, I used to get the question of, if I could go back and tell young Robert something, what would you tell him? And I struggled with that because to me is like, just live your life the way you're living it. Because I look back at everything, all my ups and my downs, it's made me who I am today. Same with each of your kids. They're, they are unique. They are each their own individual. Their journey is going to be their journey. All we can do is guide them and allow them to interpret it the way they're going to and be there to support them where we can. But if we try to change people and make them have to do things a certain way, that's why you get a lot of the resistance. That's why you get a lot of the rebellion. It's just let them be who they are and be there to support them and love them for who they are, not who you want them to be.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's great advice. Um, well, uh, okay. So we have literally blown through our hour, which I, I knew this would, because How did that I, happen? well, I know, I know. And you know, this is what, you it know, was at this point, it was, we're
0: really fun. People. It's like, come
1: on, Annie, you know, it's point it's times like this. You realize why Joe Rogan has a three hour podcast because you get into these topics and there, there's just so much more. So, so what I always like to do is leave it open. Uh, Robert, we would love to have you come back.
3: Oh, you, you just ask, I'm there, I'm having fun with you guys. Well, and it, if it, there, I can keep delivering value, done.
1: Absolutely. I, no, I, I, think I, I know you have a lot more to share. So, so in kind of closing out, we have kind of a tradition here, Robert, and I, I think you're going to like this. Um, we have what's called the monkey moment and uh, i'm going to throw a question uh, for the group Uh, it's it's kind of out of left field but we have kind of a tradition robert that the the guest of honor being yourself gets to introduce the monkey moment by delivering their best monkey imitation
3: (laughs) i I am up for this challenge
1: good good every now you're we're on a 36 guest roll, robert (laughs) so no pressure
3: no pressure no pressure
1: Anytime you're oh, ready. Oh, oh,
2: oh, is there a, <laughs> any
1: any monkey you want. We we thought it would be so boring if we just had an audio clip of a of a chimpanzee or something. So no, you give us your best monkey imitation. And do I have to say anything or just make the sounds? Just the sounds is fine.
0: <laughs> I'm ready.
1: <laughs> oh okay. my gosh okay
0: that was impressive
1: that was really impressive did you just hit an audio clip Robert was that actually like, you
0: you saw that coming didn't you <laughs> you, you, you knew I was going to do that yeah
3: yeah I, I practiced that one for hours no, I'm
1: <laughs> okay I'm going to tell you I always I always kid my my normal co-host Carden because he always compliments the guest by saying I think that's the best one ever but truly that I was, think that was the that best was one ever. really the best one <laughs> nice nice sure. job the, the inner primate it's, I think yeah. that's yeah. very good. Okay, so here's here's the monkey moment question for the for the night. If you could become immortal, would you? And wow. there's no particular order. Anybody you Robert, you can go first. Annie, you can go first. No, I was gonna say ladies first. Okay.
0: I, I'm gonna say no. I think there's just no. I
1: the idea of living forever does not no. appeal to you.
0: I think I mean I have so many questions related to that. Like, do you age? Like, when do you like? At what point do you become immortal? Like, is your family immortal with you? No, no. Like, so so so. Let danger.
1: me, yeah. So <laughs> let me lay this out. No, not everybody. Okay. Lives forever. Yep. No. Um. I. You know, the age thing is interesting, but truly, if you're immortal, you probably wouldn't age. So I'm going to say you reach a certain maturity level, and there you go. Yeah.
0: No, I don't think. I, I think that the value of life wouldn't be, as precious. If you, mm-hmm. you know, I just think that you would really probably miss out on a lot of opportunities if you knew you could just live forever, hmm. you know, cause you would, yeah. yeah, well, I guess, you know, your time's not limited. So, yep. yeah, right. so no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it.
1: But yeah. everybody else's is. This. <laughs> That's true. Right. Robert, what do you, what do you, uh, think? I, I'm,
3: I'm going Highlander. There can be only one, and <laughs> I would, uh, I would absolutely, I would have fun with that. Um, because, you know, you said you get to a certain age and you mature, see, I'm never going to grow up, so I won't ever mature. So I would have a blast, <laughs> you know, being having that eternal life. I got to tell you <laughs> the,
1: the Highlander quote, um, just, I think it was on the last podcast or we were talking about it. It was, uh, it's. Remember the guy in the car? It's better to burn out than to
2: fade away. Uh, that's, my, that's right. It's my favorite oh, Highlander right. quote.
0: What song is it? Yeah. Oh, There's
3: I song,
2: don't.
1: I,
3: I'd rather rust. All right, rather burn out than rust. Uh, yeah.
1: I just I, I just, it's I just a remember DC
2: song. I think. Is it? I don't know. I
1: I, yeah. the, I don't remember hearing it other than that line in the movie where the guy's in the car. He's the bad immortal that you know. The, yeah. the, obviously, they had to kill each other. But great show for the people that haven't seen it. The original Highlander.
3: <laughs> The original, yes.
1: Actually, yeah. the
3: TV series was not bad either. You know, they did a pretty good job on the TV series.
1: It wasn't Christopher Lambert, though, was
3: it? No, it's, no, he wasn't, didn't play in the series. Yeah. But, yeah, Christopher Lambert's Christopher Lambert.
2: You
3: And, of course, it, Sean Connery. Oh.
1: Well, well, absolutely. And, you know, uh, I think you and I are pretty close to the same vintage. So it's like, you know, when you remember those movies when they first came out originally, and you remember them as being awesome, and then sometimes you go back and watch them, you go, eh. But you know what? Highlander? <laughs>
0: Highlander's yeah, good. A good one. It's yeah, good yeah, It's still good. It's still good. That's right. I'm pretty much into, like, Bluey and Peppa Pig and those sorts of things right now. Oh, well. That's that's what my team
3: consists of. Then you'll you'll love that I actually have a very unique pig that I have, or pet, which is a pet pig, all 265 pounds of her, but she doesn't know she's a pig. She thinks she's a dog, and she's a princess. That's awesome. As soon as we have done this interview, it's time to take her outside because she doesn't. You don't wake her up before noon or one o'clock. Right. She's a grumpy girl if you do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: So, so I'm I'm curious. Uh, you know, uh, pigs can live a long time. Robert, is this is this uh, she she on the full full ride scholarship then?
3: Twenty to twenty five years. We've had wow. her ten years oh, yeah. now. She's almost ten years old. Yeah. Yeah, Impressive. they do. They, they live uh, a long time.
0: Blair, you didn't, are you, what, you're immo- immortal. Oh, okay, so immortal.
1: Okay, you know what, I'm, I'm it's, it's kind of funny, because listening to Robert, I'm, well, I'm ADD, totally. And so I, I do a million things, <laughs> you know, and, and I will never be bored. But, but I got to say that um, something you say resonates with me, because I've thought of it before. And, and I remember somebody saying the, the analogy with gold. If gold was like dirt... It would be yeah. worthless, right. and it, it wouldn't have value. And even though it's as pretty and shiny as it is, it wouldn't mm-hmm. mean as much. And I I think you're you're right in that, if something is limitless, truly limitless, you know, does it lose its shine? Does it? Because I, I for me personally, one of the things that matter of fact, one of my favorite sayings is "Memento Mori," right, which is Latin for "Remember death." It's not a morbid thing. It's it's actually supposed to be inspirational, and it is reminding of, this doesn't last forever. So treasure it, it's precious, and take care of it. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of a thing. Um, and uh, it, But but my other side, you know, I see what Robert's coming from, it's like, you could do a lot of fun you stuff, could and just, it'd be like one stuff, constant right. party.
0: Well, and then like, I mean, can you cheat death? Like, that's a whole other aspect, like, you could do some crazy stuff if you're not gonna die. Your yeah. own
3: jackass material.
0: Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> you might spend a long time yeah, in a hospital. I, you but. know,
1: but okay, but think about that though. So you do that for a hundred years or five years. You know, eventually that's gonna, it's you know, gonna get infinite yeah. is infinite. Well, and yeah. It's tough to wrap your mind around infinite. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You know, I I guess since I have to give an answer, I would say I don't want to be immortal. Yeah, I don't need uh, Even though the thought of it, I can see, but I, I feel like once you've been here for a long time, you're, you would almost long for, you know, I don't know mm-hmm. if you get tired or not. I don't know. It's a very yeah. a very Well, especially if,
3: if, if something that Annie said, if your loved ones, as an example, are aging, I can't even imagine how tough that would be. Um, True. To go yeah. through that again and again and again. That, that's so actually kind a great way to me. Stop
1: it. No, 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 not at
3: all. Well, you, and
0: that's I mean like yeah, so you get to a point where okay, now you watch your parents die, then you watch your kids die, then you watch your grandkids like well, I mean that would be
1: Yeah, you, you would almost almost become almost kind of a hermit because yeah. you Yeah, I mean that's mm-hmm. a, yeah, very thought provoking. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um
0: a fun fact, better to burn out than fade away. It was Def Leppard, Rock of Ages. Better
1: to burn yeah. out than ba- they had to have stolen it from the movie, I'm, I'm sure you. yeah,
0: but I knew it wasn't a song you know, Robert.
1: Robert, you remember Def Leppard?
0: I Def do. Come I on.
1: do.
3: Smith. Hey, one of my favorite songs, Brian Adams, good old Canadian.
0: Summer of oh, 69,
3: because that's the year, baby. That's the year. Oh,
0: nice. Is that you got your first real six string? Bought it at a five and dime? <laughs> that's right. Played it till yep. your fingers jo- blew
1: Jody quit. Jimmy got married.
2: <laughs> yep, <that's
1: Yes>. right. <laughs> uh, a fellow Gen Xer. That, uh, I knew I liked you, Robert. That's, that's awesome. Well, listen, uh, I, I cannot thank you enough, Robert, for taking the time. I'm, I'm sure you're a busy, busy man, and I appreciate you taking the time um, to come on and definitely we'll have you back. I'd I'd love for you to meet Carden. He'll love to meet you as well. Um, And Annie, thank you for doing such a stellar job. Anytime,
0: anytime. Anytime you can't find anybody else, let me know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Number 37. number
0: 37? (laughs) (laughs) uh,
1: number 37 on the list (laughs) come on down (laughs) (laughs) no i i appreciate you uh coming in it was fun having you so um so okay well uh robert can you know wish you continued success with what you're doing and uh uh, no i'm quick question are you limited with traveling now or is it is it you wide open right now
3: um, limited, and even when it gets wide open, um, I've done a reinvent. I've gone from flying 200,000 miles a year around the world, BC before COVID, to that's <laughs> why I built our training center. Is I've you know I'm ready to have my students come see me now and come be you know do masterminds here on my property. So I'm gonna even when we are able to travel more, I'm gonna be a lot more limited to just mainly family travel is kind of what I'll be looking at.
1: Good for you good for you yeah yeah. another advantage of financial independence
3: it is it is because you know when you are able to have choices like that and that's what people don't realize of one of the reasons to get and create their financial freedom is because it does give you more choice when instead of feeling you have to do something because you have to earn that living it's like what do i really want to do what brings joy to my life and and having that until you really experience it people i don't think can even imagine what it can be like
1: I think that sounds like an excellent next episode. I, I think, yeah. Yep. All right. Well, uh, Robert, thank you again. Annie, thank you again. And uh, episode seven or 37 is in the books, people. So, uh, yes, ding, ding, ding. So, uh, from Shoto, Montana, I will say good evening, Robert and Annie. Good night.